Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Father, you are here, and we are here. May we be here together now, and may we be conscious of your presence with us. In the name of Jesus, your darling Son, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, St. Michael's. So don't get too excited, but my sermon's on the shorter end today. Nope. <laughs> like we get to get out of here early, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, So Jesus uh, says this in today's passage. He says, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places, and I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am you may be also. Now this saying of Jesus is often read at funerals and memorials because it is extremely hopeful and comforting, and it was meant to be that to Jesus' disciples when he said it for the very first time. But when I was a part of a different church tradition, I haven't always been Episcopalian, uh, it was referred to often and interpreted in a very colorful way. Maybe if you weren't always Episcopalian, you've heard this before. So Jesus, due to his high-level carpentry skills that he learned from his dad, um, is actually up in heaven right now building your future home. The size and the square footage of your heavenly home, the quality of its furnishings, the neighborhood he puts it in, is all dependent upon the life you lead here on earth. Please, just so I know I'm preaching to someone. Someone raise your hand who's heard this. Please, it only me? Yes, okay, I got a couple. All right, okay, okay, cool. So what kind of house... Uh, do you want to live in in eternity when you die and go to heaven? Granted, that's where you're going. Okay? Do you want to live in a mansion or do you want to live in a shack? The choice is yours. I heard this like, oh man, all the time. So some of you are familiar with this perspective. Some of you might actually hold on to this. I don't think there's anything actually particularly wrong with imagining Jesus building a special and unique floor plan for you that you get to live in when you go to heaven when you die? Because I used to think about this all the time. I could tell you what I want. I want a wraparound porch. Um, I've never had one. I want one. I want a wraparound porch, and I want a bunch of, like, Cracker Barrel-sized rocking chairs painted white, and I want a chair swing, and I want to be put in a very quiet neighborhood. Put me with the monks and the nuns that don't like to talk or wave at me, and I want to sit on my porch, and I want to sip really good heavenly coffee forever. <laughs> I love it. I'm like, Jesus, if you're building me that, I mean, that's cool. However, I think there maybe might be going on just a little bit more in this passage than like Jesus' construction project. I, I might be wrong, so we're just going to spend a little bit of time kind of digging in and see maybe if Jesus is saying something a little bit more. So in this passage this morning, the time is drawing near for Jesus to depart. His crucifixion and resurrection are are imminent. They're right around the corner. It's going to happen in just a few moments. 
And Jesus is preparing his disciples for the next phase of their journey, so to speak. But it's a journey that will not include Jesus' physical presence. He's not going to be there with them every single day. There's no more weddings and dinner parties with Jesus. There's no more shocking and wild miracles that he's going to do for them to behold. There's no more spicy debates with the religious leaders that they get to look at and and watch and talk about behind Jesus' back. And Jesus leaving uh, conflicts with their expectation of what Jesus actually came to do, which in their mind... Jesus came to do three things, kick out the Roman Empire who stole their country, restore Israel to a sovereign nation again, and rule as king and savior out of the nation's capital, the city of Jerusalem. So they are concerned and confused by what Jesus is saying as they typically are. And so they ask him, where are you going? Where are you going? And what, how do we get there? What's the way to where you're going so we can follow you? We don't like what you're telling us right now. And Jesus interestingly implies that they already know. He says, you know the where and you know the way. And why did he say that? Because he's been speaking about it since day one. If you travel, we're just a little bit of a Bible lesson. If you travel all the way back to chapter 1, After hearing John the Baptist exclaim, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, if you guys maybe remember that. The first two disciples, which used to actually follow John the Baptist, by the way, heard that. And so they started walking behind the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They started to actually follow him. And Jesus took notice of this, and he turns around, and he asks them a question. He says, What are you looking for? What are you looking for? What are you searching for? And they respond with another question because they don't know what to say. So they ask, where are you staying? You know, the word stay in their question is the same word for remain, for abide, for dwell. It's actually related to the same word that Jesus uses when he says dwelling places. And Jesus responds to their inquiry by saying, come and see. Now, Jesus wasn't interested in showing them his little studio apartment, his little efficiency that he's renting in Capernaum so that he can do his ministry. He wanted to show show them something a little bit more profound. He wanted to show them where he remains, where he abides, where he dwells, where he always has. And where is that exactly? Well, in the beginning of John's gospel, the writer opens the book with the famous words, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Did you know that that preposition with could actually be interpreted as toward, which is interesting, because that implies a different kind of relational dynamic. It's as if the Son and the Father are eternally pressing into one another. They are eternally moving into and toward one another. They are face to face in an everlasting gaze. 
This is why John 1.18 says, God, the only son who is close to the father's heart, literally in the bosom of the father, he has made him known. See, the son and the father dwell in each other's love. This is where Jesus is staying. And this is what he sought to show his disciples for several years And why when Philip asks Jesus, show us the Father, Jesus responds by saying, Have I been with you this whole time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The Father speaks and does his work in and through me. We dwell in one another. That's why he says the Father and I are one. So Philip, if you don't believe what I'm saying then just look at the works, look at the miracles. But interestingly, John, the gospel writer, doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs because they actually serve a greater purpose. They point to a deeper reality. The miracles that Jesus does points to who Jesus is so that we can recognize who he is and come to him. And therefore, we can recognize and know who God really is. Because in the gospel writer's mind, this apostle John, that's the whole purpose of Jesus coming here, was to fully reveal God. No one has ever seen God. It is God the only Son who is close to the Father's heart. He has made him known. And to know him is eternal life. That's alluded And our colic this morning, it comes from Jesus' prayer in chapter 17, verse 3, where he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, not know about you, Father, but know you experientially and intimately and know me, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know the Father as Jesus knows the Father. And to know Jesus as the Father knows Jesus. That's eternal life. To remain and abide and dwell. To live amidst that eternal love that has existed before the worlds began. Jesus came to suck us up into that. You know, at the beginning of our human existence, represented in the Garden of Eden story in Genesis, we basically, in other words, said to God, we don't want to know you. We don't want to dwell with you. We don't want to live with you. We want to do life our way, on our own terms. We don't want you. We don't need you. We'll be just fine without you. How has that fared? Not so good. And because of that decision, refusing to be in a love relationship with our creator, that relationship, once unified, was ripped apart and broken. See, Jesus calls this being lost, which implies that there is actually somewhere that we're supposed to be, that that there is somewhere that we belong, but we're too messed up and too disoriented to get back there on our own. We don't know the way. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to bring us back home. Not just go home when we die to be in heaven, 
and swing on the porch swing, though that's where I'm going to be one day, hopefully. Because Jesus says, you know, actually, the Father wishes to make his home in you. That Jesus came to make his home in me. That the Spirit, which we'll talk about next week, came to dwell in us. This is all about union with God. Union with God. You know, it's an ancient practice to kind of look up, you know, when we pray and in worship. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, Jesus did that himself. You can actually see him doing that in the Gospel of John, as a matter of fact. It expresses something. It expresses God's, here's a fancy word, transcendence. What does that mean? The God's otherness, God's distinctness, you know, God's holiness. You know, that God's the creator and we're the created. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, there's a whole other side to the same coin. And that's God's fancy word, imminence. Well, you know, Greg, what does that mean? God's nearness, God's closeness, God's presence with us, and God's desire to be as near to us as possible. And what Jesus is saying, that God thinks you're so amazing that he wants to inhabit you. And you inhabit him. So, sure, look up when you pray. But remember, you can always look in where God lives. I don't think I totally grasp that. That the creator of the universe actually chooses, wants to live in me. Maybe that hasn't really influenced me as much as it probably should. And this is not so that I can just feel good about myself and feel happy and warm and peaceful all the time, though that could be a byproduct. No, we actually have a calling. We have a vocation, all of us. All of us were ordained in baptism to do the works that Jesus does. And he says, actually, because I'm going to the Father, you're going to do greater works than me. Wow. Both in scope and in number. Because Jesus' body was localized. He couldn't be everywhere all at once when he was here as a human being. But now his body is everywhere. We are all words become flesh, scattered around the world, dwelling amongst the people. And the works that we do are still signs, signs that point to the person of Jesus Christ so that others might entrust themselves to him and have life in his name. This is what Peter was talking about in the epistle reading. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. In order that there's something for us to do, you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our works are just like Jesus. They are meant to reveal. So what he's saying to his disciples as he's preparing them, people, it's your turn. It's our turn. It's our turn now. As he will say in a chapter from here, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. He's saying, go and seek the lost and find them and show them the way home. Reveal to them by your words and your actions who the way, the truth, and the life is. You children of God, close to the Father's heart, in his bosom, go and make him known. 
not so that they too might have a custom-built home in the sky to go to when they die, though that's cool, but so that Christ might make their home in them and they in him while they live. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.